This has been a year, has it not? I started looking back, as I know some of you have or you soon will, about what's happened in the last uh, few months of our lives, and it just seems like so many things are changing. I thought, have we always felt this pessimistic? So I went back, I started looking at some memes from a few years ago, and what I, uh, what I discovered is that, yeah, we have. We've come to the end of almost every year with this sense of, well, that wasn't a good year, but this next one is going to be way better. Four years ago, one said the first rule of 2017 is never mention to 2016. So they went and had a very difficult 2017. They got halfway through it and said, I thought 2017 was going to be better. Now here we are six months in. Well, I'll wait for another year. At the end of 2019, just last year, someone wrote, 2017 changed me. 2018 broke me. 2019 opened my eyes. Now, in 2020, I am back. <laughs> they had no idea. Do you remember how optimistic you felt about 12 months ago? Then one event after another, like a cascade, started changing our lives. There was an explosion in Beirut. There were wildfires in Australia. There was a flood in Indonesia. There was... A plane crash in the Ukraine, earthquakes in Turkey, then a pandemic in every country, and then in America, there was violence on the streets since last May. It seems like all year long, we've lost things. In between those mountains of tragedy are millions of individual lives who've lost their health or their jobs or their routines or their confidence. They've lost people that are very, very close to them. So Christmas this year probably feels more tentative than it has in a very long time. The four themes traditionally associated with Christmas are hope, peace, joy, depending on the list you read, love. Yet all four of these themes seem tenuous at best, irrelevant at worst. How does one hope when they've lost so much? How does one speak of peace in any meaningful way when you look at the streets in the major um, cities? in America right now. And yet the prophets keep speaking of these themes again and again. It occurred to me that the days in which Isaiah lived were very much like the day that we live in today. And he started saying outrageous things. And they never seemed to move the people in front of him, not because they didn't believe them, but because they didn't care. The kind of hope they were looking for was always some other kind of hope. So when Isaiah said, spread this good news, here is your God, or your God reigns, 
the people were not interested because what they were looking for was something more immediate and practical, something like a change in the government, maybe a new policy, maybe a stimulus package, maybe a vaccine. It was something that will solve our immediate problems, but they were failing to see the bigger picture. And so the prophet spoke relentlessly of a narrative that was much larger than the last tragedy. And he gave us language for framing what is happening to us. He gave us a way of speaking about it. That's what I want to try this morning on this theme of hope. How does a Christian hope at the end of 2020 after all this stuff has happened and we've no reason to believe that the turning of a calendar is going to make that much of a difference. Wherein is our hope? One of the oldest books in the Bible is the book of Job. And so a few months ago, I started reading through the book of Job because apparently I was thinking 2020 was not miserable enough. I needed to go back and read this diary of a man whose life imploded. If you know anything about the book of Job, you know that's what it's about. In 90 seconds, this man watched everything that he had and believed in get taken away from him. Servants came in and said that Invaders have come from the sides and they have taken all of your assets. And while they were talking, another one came and said, all of your investments, your servants and your livestock, all the places where you put your wealth, that has been taken away. And while they were speaking, another person ran in and said, and, and while all of this was happening, a tornado came from the east and it has killed all of your family, only I am left to tell you. In 90 seconds, you can read the five or six verses that changed Job's life. And what this means is the man experienced all of 2020 in only 90 seconds. Everything he saw and had was taken away from him. Now, 14 chapters into this book, he's in the middle of a lament. We're reading one of his diaries. It's a journal entry. And in chapter 14, he compares the life of a man to the life of a tree in favor of the tree. He starts out by saying, how frail is man and how short is life and full of trouble. Like a flower, we blossom for a moment and then we're gone. But for a tree, there is always hope. Even though it's been cut down and remains a stump, its roots decaying in the soil, yet at the scent of water, it sends forth a shoot and a branch. That image of a stump lying dead in the soil for year upon year, and then at the scent of water. Not water, the smell of water. 
It's what Eugene Peterson calls the first whiff of water. At the hint that rain is coming, there is something in even the dead that reaches for life. And when it seizes upon that, it sends forth a branch. It's a powerful image because it suggests that when things are dead, they're never completely dead. By all appearances, they are done and gone, but there is still something in it. And the rumor that there is water nearby is enough to cause that thing that's buried in the dead to sit up and reach for it and then send forth a shoot. Hope is the scent of water. There is something in every one of us, no matter how despairing things are, that waits. We sleep. We lie there, dormant, holding our breath. And then, at the first scent that something is going to change, we reach for it. And when we do, we believe in it. And it's that belief that sends forth the first shoot. I thought of us at the end of 2020. I wondered if the last 12, at least nine months, have just beaten the life and the vibrancy uh, the enthusiasm right out of us. And I wonder if we don't just go through the motions now at the end of the year, waiting for something to break. And then at the first scent of water, we rise. This conveys a couple of important things to me, and both of these things are present in the prophets when they speak about hope. The first thing is that to the prophets, hope always comes in the context of judgment. Hope never rises from nothing. It always rises as the other side of judgment. The prophets portray a nation that was once strong and then wandered away from God. Listen to the words of Isaiah. He says of Israel in his day, you were proud and lofty in chapter 2. You were wise in your own eyes and clever in your own sight in chapter 5. You found rulers that chased after bribes and sought gifts. They were companions of thieves in chapter 1. Your courts were filled with guilty people that were acquitted while the innocent were denied justice in chapter 5. Your merchants, your store owners 
took advantage of the widows and the fatherless and the vulnerable in chapter 10. And your religious leaders saw this and they turned a blind eye in chapter 1. So your land has become desolate and your cities are burning with fire. Well, he had my attention. The more I read Isaiah's description of the people in his day, I started to see a picture of the people in our day. And the prophet is not afraid to put all of this at the doorstep of God. He suggests that God is a live and active agent in the world today. He lives in an invisible realm that is literally next to our heads. And because he is that close, he is always listening and watching to what his people are doing. And depending on what his people do, God is making conclusions. And when God makes conclusions, he will act in discipline for his people. He will send armies from the outside who come in and invade them. And they commit atrocities that God himself is opposed to. But he will tolerate these things in order to discipline his people. The prophet says when God moves against his people, he will cause their crops to fail and their markets to collapse. He will send in locusts and diseases among them that they cannot overpower. And the more I read this, the more nervous I got. I started to wonder if there was not another narrative, a larger narrative for all that is happening. And the prophets would say that just because we have more rational, more uh, scientific explanations for these things, that does not explain it all. Part of the explanation is that God is committed to his people, that he will not abandon his people. He can't. And so whenever things are wrong, he moves in to discipline his people. And so when things come against his people, it's an act of love. What father does not discipline his child? God does not hate his people. Hatred would be to abandon them and leave them to secular forces. Love disciplines them. But it always has in view their redemption, their return. And that is the second great theme in the prophets. Hope out of judgment, out of death, a stump cut down rises hope. And the word of hope never comes from inside the trouble. The only thing people can create when they're in trouble is optimism, not hope. Optimism 
simply takes the information we already have, what we already know, and it makes projections about the future. And when those projections are positive, we're optimistic. So optimism is rooted in our knowledge, in news coming from the people around us. But hope to the prophet always comes from the outside. Hope is always something new, something you can't predict, something unbelievable that no one could do. Hope always takes us by surprise. Out of death, there is the scent that God is on the move. And out of that scent, our hope rises. So hope to a Christian is always an involuntary response to news from the outside. When you hear it or you smell it and believe it, you hope, not because you should, but because you can't help it. The prophet picks up this powerful image of a stump lying dead for a long time and then suddenly smelling water. And this is the prophet's message to Israel. You'll see why I think it was so prevalent, I think, in our day. The prophet said that Israel was once a strong land, but it became wise in its own eyes. He said that Israel made idols out of things that it made with their own hands. And then people bowed down to things that their own fingers have made. He said the people of Israel were denying justice to the poor, the impoverished, and the vulnerable. And that God was watching this and forming conclusions. And so at the end of chapter 6 in Isaiah's book of sermons, he says, like a mighty oak tree is cut down and lies like a stump, so the holy seed, Israel itself, will be a stump in dry land. Then, chapter 11, the scent of water. In chapter 11, the preacher, Isaiah, smells the coming of Yahweh back to his people. He can sense that God is not finished with his people. And he says in chapter 11, out of this stump, out of this kingdom that you have created, dead in the ground that I have cut down, out of the stump will come a shoot and then a branch. And this branch is not a government or a movement 
or a policy or a stimulation. This branch is a person. And he will have the spirit of Yahweh on him. It's a spirit of wisdom and understanding. It means he'll be able to look through a thing and never judge by the appearance or by what he hears. He will judge by what is in him, not just what is in front of him. It's a spirit of counsel and a spirit of power. He will know the right thing to do and he will have the courage to do it. It's the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will know things about Yahweh that nobody else knows. And when he comes into the land, he will bring justice to people who are poor and marginalized. He will not be a chaplain for the government. No, he will be a government all his own. In fact, the government will be on his shoulders. And the justice that he brings, he will not bring by shouting or screaming or clamoring in the streets. In quietness, he will go about making things right where they are wrong. He will not salute the flag of any nation. He will raise his own flag in every nation. And people from those nations will stream to him out of love and desire, out of loyalty and commitment. And those who are streaming will not be at war with one another. They will say to each other, let us go up to the mountain of God so that he can teach us his ways. What a vision. What a picture of salvation. It makes every other solution we're hearing about today small in comparison. Then he says, this branch, this person, it's not just a person, but a type of person. He's a, he's a people, a remnant, a minority. He's like a tribe or a nation that lives within the nation. And these people are just like him. The spirit of Yahweh is on them. It's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. They make judgments not by what they've heard on social media or on the street, but by what they know to be true of Yahweh, by what is in them, not by what is in front of them. And they bring about justice, not by screaming or clamoring in the courts or on the streets, but by quietly going about 
making things right in places where they're wrong. These people, this remnant, this nation within the nation is as powerful as they are invisible. They're changing things. This branch is not coming to bust you out. He's breaking in and living among you in the very thing that you're living in. He is not an escape. He is your quietness and your rest. When I read this, I thought, God, give us these people today. We have so many people. Is it you? It's been me. Who speak more judgment than hope. We spend hours, at least minutes every hour, doom scrolling on our phones, finding bad news, until one wonders if we not only accept this news, we prefer it. Somehow the news stimulates us in ways that hope no longer does. It's not that we don't believe these messages. It's that they don't seem as relevant, as important as all of the news. So it's not like we don't believe. It's just like we don't care. Have we grown indifferent to things like Isaiah's vision. And the trouble, of course, is that all of the news we're hearing only reinforces the pessimism we already have. Until we cannot even imagine a better day, it is far more stimulating to condemn something Because condemning makes us feel like prophets. Have we forgotten, church? Prophets speak hope. So I came out here thinking, I got to talk you into hoping. And then it occurred to me, I can't. You can't hope because you're supposed to. You are already the victim of your beliefs, whatever they are. Hope rises when you smell water.
and you reach for it and you believe it again. God is active in this world. He is listening and watching to things that people are doing. He is forming conclusions. The punishment that we are suffering is at the hand of God. Some of you are afraid of that because you're afraid that you'll damage his approval ratings. Isaiah seems not to worry about these things. By protecting God from these things, some of us in the room have created a secular worldview where the world is buffered from God. He knows, but doesn't have that much to do with anything. If we cannot hear the judgment, then we won't be able to believe in hope. My friend, they come from the same place. So you don't need to be afraid of God. Because what God is doing, whatever that is, is motivated out of loyalty and love to his people. He has in mind our redemption. And so, he says outrageous things. Hard to believe. You want them to be true, but they're so far out there, you roll your eyes when you hear them. Oh, this morning, if you could hear them again and believe them, really believe them, and think that maybe you haven't misunderstood those verses. That is what they mean. It just hasn't all happened yet. You'd smell water. And you'd reach for it. And something would come up, sit up inside of you, and hope again. I've put just questions on the screen that people can process whether you're at home and you're watching online. I hope you'll look at these questions. I hope you'll turn right after this and talk to people that are next to you about what these questions mean. And it's in the discussion, I think, really, uh, the word of the Lord comes. But it's important before you go that you believe in what God has promised. And so I started to read these sermons of Isaiah, all 66 of them. And I started lifting up things that the prophets said God was going to do. And I just say them because if you're going to go out this week and you're going to speak of bad news, can you at least alongside of it, Tell people what God is going to do. Spread hope. Tell hope by telling them 
what God is going to do. Hear then the word of the Lord. In that day, the mountain of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all of the nations will stream into it. People will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And then he will judge between the nations. He'll settle their disputes and they will beat their swords into plows and nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war. In that day, you will trust and not be afraid. You'll draw water from the well of salvation. You'll give thanks to the Lord and call on his name and make known among the nations what he has done for you. And then a king will come and reign in righteousness and your rulers will rule with justice again and each person will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm or like a stream in the desert and the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will finally listen. The mind of the rash will understand and the stuttering tongue will be fluent and clear. There will be a highway called the way of holiness and nothing unclean will journey it, but only the redeemed will walk there and the ransomed of God will return singing with joy, crowning their heads. And you will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord's sake and for his splendor. And you will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. You will restore the cities that have been devastated for generations. And instead of shame, you'll receive honor instead of disgrace an inheritance. And your descendants, your descendants will be known among the nations. And those who see your descendants will acknowledge they are a people blessed by God himself. The hope of God, the scent of water at the end of a difficult year. Thanks be to God.